The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode has two segments. In the first, Anne from PKD Podcast helps me discuss the music of Pokemon Dash, the first Nintendo DS Pokemon game. While this racer certainly isn't the most memorable Pokemon title, that didn't stop us from finding plenty to talk about. As usual, there's a game discussion after the outro. Our second segment is an archival interview with Nick McKaig, a musician I interviewed all the way back in 2011 when he released an acapella cover of the English Pokemon theme. As you'd expect, we also talk about his musical history and some of the other songs he's covered, ranging from TV themes to classical music. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from Big Podcast. And in our continuing series of Pokemon side game music discussions, we've made it to our first Nintendo DS game, Pokemon Dash. So this was a very early Nintendo DS game in pretty much every territory. And it does, as I'm sure many of you know, have uh, something of a reputation. We'll be talking probably more about that on the game side in our post-discussion. But why don't we just start off with some of the basics about when this was released. As I said, this is a very early DS game. In fact, in Japan and Europe, it is a launch game. Uh, came out in December 2004 in Japan and March 2005 in Europe. Uh, it also came out in March 2005 in the U.S., so very, very early there. In, in Korea, for whatever reason, it came out all the way in 2007. I, I think the system may have come out a little bit later there just to, just in general. But uh, let's sort of talk about our original experience with this. Now, I did not pick this game up when it originally came out. I do recall playing it a little bit at a uh, Pokemon Across America event that I believe was in Chicago in the fall of 2005, and I uh, wasn't super impressed with the demo or anything like that. And did you play this at all back in the day? I did. Um, who was it in my life? I think it was one of my little cousins or possibly a friend of theirs had it. So one time I came to visit them, I played it. And those couple hours was really, I think I finished the game. I, If I didn't, I got a lot out of it. And frankly, enough. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, this game definitely has a reputation. Well, since I always try and play these games for, for these, Anne and I both try, uh, not always convenient, especially given the current circumstances, but I picked up a copy used, uh, I think, a, a month or so ago and uh, paid uh, about 20 bucks for it. It wasn't uh, super cheap, despite the game's uh, reputation. <laughs> but uh, I actually had a bit of trouble getting it to work. I had to actually clean off the contacts on the DS game card to make that one work because um, I, I tried it in my 3DS and it wouldn't read there. I thought, well, maybe it's just that one. I tried a couple other DS systems that I have around the house and uh, finally did get it to work after some cleaning. So, yeah, I did play through at least some of it uh, 
for this. I, I didn't have the, the greatest tolerance, I guess you could say. Um, and did you do any replaying of this game for this discussion? I did not. I did watch a few Let's Plays to kind of remind myself how it went and just double check that there wasn't more to it, really. But I did not play it a second time around. Well, yeah, uh, I guess uh, perhaps going back to that reputation thing, this this game <laughs> is not, uh, unlike other Pokemon side games, at least some of them, it's not unlike the Wii U Virtual Console like the Ranger games are. So it's certainly not as accessible um, as some of the other Pokemon side games, like the the Mystery Dungeon and the Ranger games and stuff like that. But um, let's sort of talk about some of the other production details of this game. It was made by Umbrella, uh, who many of you will recognize from Hey You Pikachu and Pokemon Channel. I guess this is the next thing that they worked on. Uh, apparently, at least some parts of this game can date back to a DS tech demo with a sort of virtual Pikachu thing that was this very small simulation type deal. It's like virtual pet with some very minor interactivity that was shown off with the original DS. And, and somehow, on top of all that, they built this racing game. Uh, I have a feeling they didn't have a ton of time to produce all that, but I, I think we'll cover that as time goes around. One thing I want to note about Umbrella that we haven't mentioned in our previous discussions, by the way, is that actually it looks like last year they got um, acquired by Creatures, Inc., one of the Pokemon family of companies. Um, after another game they worked on, Pokemon Rumble Rush, the mobile app got uh, closed down. Uh, I guess all their intellectual property and code and stuff was was brought in there. Just wanted to make sure we got that into this discussion, but... Uh, as far as the actual music, it was done by the usual person, Miki Obata, who also worked on Hey You Pikachu and on Pokemon Channel, who we believe to be a uh, now-retired woman who had a brief musical career in the 60s or 70s and eventually got into game music. And I don't suppose there's any more uh, stuff on that end. I still cannot confirm or deny, so... I just have a feeling it's going to stay that way for a while. Uh, did anything else strike you about the production details of the of the game? Honestly, we'll probably get into this a bit later. It surprised me that it was Miki Obata doing... Like, after what we've said about um, them on Pokemon Channel and... and um, Hey You Pikachu, this feels a little bit odd. And like I said, well, we can talk a bit more about that, but I was a little surprised that that name was attached. Well, I I, I pretty much recognize it as her work. It definitely sounded like it. Uh, just to give a brief explanation, the DS Sound hardware, we're getting very much into the modern era. There's like 16 uh, PCM, pulse code, uh, channels, so... Pretty close to, you know, not as advanced as what you see on the newest systems, but still pretty well developed. Uh, as far as the musical style, it it's very high energy. Is that what kind of threw you in as far as the stylistic things go? Or mm, It's hard to explain. Like, we might, as we get into our individual picks, then I think we'll, it'll come clear why I was a little, a little put off. It's multifaceted, my confusion <laughs> well i definitely felt it fit in with some of the faster 
uh, tunes in those in those prior Umbrella Pokemon games. I did want to know, it does seem like there might be some sound quality issues, either with the instruments and or some of the voice samples in there. I did sort of look things up. There was not a lot of space used for this game. It's somewhere between like 5 and 7 megabytes of data um, on a DS cartridge, which is extraordinarily small. I think the smallest like DS cartridge is something like 16 megabytes. So extremely small there, and they might have been a bit constrained in that area. Um, but uh, any other thoughts on the overall sound, Anne? It did seem a little bit low quality in some ways. Um, uh, it, yeah, again, I don't know if it's all necessarily the actual sound quality or just um, the choices of instrumentation, which again, we'll talk a bit more as we get into individual tracks. But it, a lot of this soundtrack felt like demo tracks in a way. So I like I said I'm a little not in love with it. <laughs> well, well, that's interesting. I guess uh, you you mentioned our track picks like we usually do here. Each of us picked out a couple tracks from the game, and by tracks I mean music tracks. This is a racing game, of course. Let's see, Anne, what did you pick? Yes, I picked uh, the tracks "Practice," "Racing on Lapras," and "Ending." All right. Well, I picked the white cup theme, the yellow cup theme, and the cup results no trophy theme. Um, There is a little bit of a strategy or whatever you want to say behind some of my picks. Um, But, Anne, why don't we start with one of your picks? This is the practice uh, theme. Um, If I recall correctly, there's thankfully at least some tutorials you can go through for some of the mechanics. Um, which I recommend folks actually do with this one. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the track that goes with that. All right, yeah, this is the one that I felt was the least, mm, the one that I I thought was not as Miki Obata that I remembered from past tracks. One thing about this track is that it's very discordant. There's a very cute little melody, um, very intricate and unique in the way a lot of their music was and then they have a bunch of weird notes that just don't seem to fit the chord or a hit of an instrument like a a bell or something that has weird subharmonics and it all feels like it clashes for a second before resuming the melody and I'm not sure if that's just me perceiving it that way if it's the sound a sound quality issue or if it's like super meta and practice is supposed to be imperfect sometimes or or if the composer just thought it sounded cool I don't know but there's something that's both bouncy and weird in this track and catchy in a way that I can't replicate because it doesn't quite fit the chord so you can't sing it it's it's a unique track and that's why I picked it the word I came up with for this one was elementary it does kind of have a very not basic necessarily in terms of composition necessarily so much as like it has a very early childhood type of vibe to it. Not not to say it was badly. I don't know exactly what I wanted to say there. I think we're, we're going to have to apologize a little bit to Miki Obata on this one because we know she's done work that we've at least liked a little bit more than this game or had more to say about. But and does the do the words that I put in there, does that make any sense? Actually, yeah, when you said elementary, I get it, because it's not like it's 
a childish composition so much, but it does sound as if a bunch of kids, uh, like precocious kids, <laughs> with instrument instruments you would find at a daycare went and played a song. And it's a very complicated song, but the instruments are weird. And occasionally it sounds like someone hit something that was not an instrument and just made a sound. <laughs> it's so yeah, like there's something to that's very playful to it to like bring in some more positive uses of that word. But it doesn't sound like a bunch of adults sat down and made it in a studio. That's not the vibe that I get from this track and that's not necessarily a horrible thing, but it's it's a choice. It's a it's a strong choice. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I think we've uh, maybe gotten a, about as much as we can out of that one. So why don't we go on to one of my picks? This is the white cup. There's five different cups in this game. Uh, not unlike, we're going to make comparisons to other racing games. Not unlike, say, a Mario Kart uh, game, uh, tracks are divided into different cups. Um, I picked as one of mine, the White Cup. This one, as you might guess from the name, is dominated by a number of ice and snow levels. Um, and uh, there is a little bit of a wintery vibe to it. There's definitely some bells. It's not as all-out, like, holiday-sounding music as, just to, to bring in another one, uh, some of the the winter tracks in Diddy Kong racing and stuff like that. Uh, but there's definitely some of that in there. Um one problem I kind of have with a lot of the music in this game logistically is it's hard for me to sort of recount or repeat some of the melodies because they are kind of uh, fast and complex and stuff like that. Uh, but, Anne, uh, what kind of thoughts did you have on this track? Um, of all the the cup-level tracks, this is the one that's my favorite. It's like, I love the melody at the beginning and the flourishes and it just has such a pleasing sound this is a very much more uh full sound um less stripped down i guess and demo-y as the track i was just talking about and it's very pleasing and all the chords work perfectly <laughs> together um it yeah it's just so pleasant and also energetic yeah, I also made a note about some of the synth work there. Um, there is definitely uh, a fair bit, really, in a lot of these tracks, but uh, here it, it sort of stuck out to me. But beyond that, I'm not sure I have a ton to say about it. Anne, any other thoughts? Um, I mean, again, other than I like it and it's pleasing, I don't have a ton to say. <laughs> All right, well, Anne, let's go on to the next of your choices. This is Racing on Lapras. So Lapras does show up uh, a number of times in Pokemon games. And uh, what, what exactly does it do, and what is its song like here? Right. Um, so I picked this uh, because for a, a song that talks about racing on Lapras, the vibe of the song is really more like you're just kind of moseying with Lapras. It's It's a very relaxed uh type of track and it, it's cute and it kind of got an island vibe and there's some synth marimbas going on um but i thought the track itself was named a little oddly although i don't feel that this part of the game is like super super intense so it doesn't necessarily need a hyper track but i i definitely don't feel when i listen to this song in isolation that i'm racing 
Yeah, in-game, the way it's used is that some of the maps, uh, basically most of the ones with water, you'll see Lapras every now and again, and you can get on Lapras and then steer it to another piece of land to get there. And then while you're doing that, this is the song that plays. It's, it's, it's not super short, but it's not very long either, and it kind of breaks stuff up. Uh, I, I noted a lot about the steel drums, which you know goes back to some of like the cobalt areas in the previous Umbrella Pokemon games, and I'm pretty sure this is in three, four time, kind of a waltz thing, which is actually not all that uncommon for water-based uh, songs like that. Is that also stuff you noticed? Um, I did not notice the three, four time, but that's makes a lot of sense and would explain why it has a slightly different feel to a lot of the rest of the tracks. Yeah, like, I was just gonna add, like, it would be weird to give this particular section of the game, like, a real heavy-duty, energetic song, just because, as you say, the purpose of it is not necessarily gameplay itself. It's not the challenge. But I did find it a little odd. (laughs) With a driving beat and dramatic vocals, Holding Out for a Hero makes a great trailer song. In the case of Detective Pikachu, it's used to showcase the more action-packed elements of the film. With shots from the roundhouse, the lab, and the climax of the movie, the music helps sell that this isn't simply a low-key crime story. There are lyrical parallels as well. The hook of the song responds to Tim's statement that he doesn't need a Pokémon, and the trailer makes a fairly obvious use of Like a Fire in My Blood. To be honest though, they could have gone even further. As someone somewhere watching me is definitely true for our heroes, and the references to thunder and lightning are just begging to be used. Then again, there's only so much you can fit in a trailer. In any case, what are your thoughts on this pairing? Be sure to let us know. Thanks. Alright, well, why don't we move on to another one of my tracks. This is the Yellow Cup, and... In contrast to the White Cup, although the the themes of the various tracks are not super like uh, tight, in other words, like you'll have a lot of track, a lot of courses that have different terrain on them. Like you'll have snow and ice, but also forests and sometimes even beaches all on the same track. But it did seem to me like the Yellow Cup tracks had a little more of a. Um, uh, volcano slash jungle terrain and stuff like that, maybe. But kind of want to look at it structurally here. Um, there's a drum intro, then there's kind of a melancholic A section, and then there's kind of a a festival, more excited B section, which I found kind of interesting. Uh, now, when I say festival, it, it's sort of like maybe some sort of island-type festival or some remote part of the world or stuff like that. And uh, what were your initial thoughts on this particular song? Well, I'd kind of forgotten. So when I came to the Yellow Cup, I had assumed it was going to be like electric themed. But having it be all those several different terrains like volcanoes and everything makes the track make a little more sense in that it's fulfilling several different functions. Three very different fields to go with what could be some very different fields. So for that, I find it interesting but the I, th- I would have to say the melancholic section is probably the one that I find the most interesting. But having all three of them together in the same track is a little... I keep using the word odd, but it is. It's 
It's a choice. It's a choice. Well, one thing we should probably mention is that the racing structure, you're not really going around it like in a standard racing game. You're going along a track or a, a path or stuff. In this one, the way it is, is you have a certain number of spots you need to touch in a certain order and you need to go between them. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, the way this is broken into parts, if maybe the original idea is that different uh, parts of this song would play in different areas of the map. But since the map is so nonlinear, that didn't really work. Just a, a kind of a theory on my part. Anne, any thoughts on that? It's a thought. And definitely, I think, in a game made today, that's something that is probably a lot more feasible. I can see something like that working out a little better. Like, again, it being so very different in those sections, like, makes it seem like there was a plan to coordinate it to certain geographical features or certain areas, etc. So you might be onto something with that theory. Yeah, I don't have anything to back that up. I couldn't find too much detailed information about the production of this game, if they had some ideas they had to scrap and stuff like that. But did want to kind of put that out there. And, you know, going back to the Lapras track, that is sort of like that. When you're on Lapras, there is a different song that plays. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering if this is some remnant of that. All right, well, let's talk about Anne's third track then. This is the ending or credits track. This one has, uh, speaking of sections, quite a, quite a number of them. Um, <laughs> I think it had kind of a little bit of a march quality to some of it. Uh, Anne, what, uh, other than its significance within the game itself, uh, what made you pick it? Um, well, mostly just my, you know, desire to find, and now for something completely different, track. Um, that's what this one is. It's definitely one of the slower tracks in the game. Um, so yeah, as you say, it's a couple different sections. Like it starts out with sort of a very stripped down um, synth harpsichord, um, just a right hand and a left hand, jazz, piano jazz contemporary feel. And then the full orchestra comes in a bit later and it's the same... Uh, sort of melody. It's just a lot more fleshed out. There's a lot more different instruments. Um, it sounds a lot fuller and smoother, and there's beautiful chords and dynamic changes. Um, there's parts where, as Steven said, like maybe a bit of a march and a bit more of an energetic push. So, yeah, this is a track that could play under the end credits and hits a lot of different notes and a lot of different um, feelings and dynamics. Like with a lot of tracks here, this is another one where I was a little surprised because when the full orchestra comes in, there's a lot going on. There's that very complicated and beautiful melody with a lot of the little flourishes and things that I like about um, Miki Obata's music. And But that section where it's just the piano um, or the synth piano feels so stripped down and so empty that it feels like a demo track and kind of turns me off a little. It's kind of empty and tinny and even a little distorted sometimes that might that might have been a my end thing so i'm conflicted in this song but it 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 goes a lot of different places and for that i find it very interesting all right so we've got one of our semi-regulars in the chat room we do stream these live this is uh ddd033 hey. hi i'm late feel free to type in any comments about what we're talking about any thoughts you have on the music or the game itself we'll try to work those ones in going back to the to the credits uh, slash uh 
uh, ending theme. One thing, I called it a march, but it wasn't super triumphant to me. It was more maybe a relief. Like, you can kind of relax now. <laughs> I don't know. Anne, do you have any thoughts on that one? Um, I could feel it that way. It Like, there was um a Pokemon anime ending theme that it really reminded of me of, and I couldn't figure out which one it was, but, like, something about this particular track, like, again... Not the first 20 seconds, but once that full swinging orchestra came in, that really reminded me of some Kaze uh, Ninote. I don't know. Um, but it gave me a very Pokemon anime closing theme type of vibe. So I kind of get that sense of relief in that it's energetic, but not in the way like we're about to start the fun. But like, wasn't that fun? Like, after it's over sort of feel. So in that sense, maybe a relief is a good way to say it. I suppose. I still feel it's a little different than some of the other things, like going back to Mario Kart, when you complete a a cup there and win one of the trophies, uh, or when you complete the game, it it doesn't seem quite quite in line with those. But uh, speaking of kind of the cup results, so there's there's two, you know, after you finish a, a cup's worth of races, there's two different things that happen. If you place in the top three, you get one of the trophies, of course, you know, gold, silver, bronze. But if you place below that, uh, you get the cup results, no trophy theme, which I thought, to be honest, was kind of a little more interesting. I, I said this and had a little bit of a confused slash dizzy feel. Um, if I had to associate with a certain Pokemon, this is a third gen game. So Spindo was definitely around. By this point, and uh, what was your sort of uh, impression of this one? I think dizzy is probably the best way to describe it. It was another one where, like, one of the things we liked uh, about Miki Obata in like some of the previous games they worked on was doing some of these very unexpected things with melodies and compositions and things. Um, this was a track where I think that came out in full force. But uh, again, like with a lot of this tra- soundtrack, there were moments where I felt I felt a little confused by the music. So I think when you said Dizzy and Spinda, I'm like, okay, yeah, now that's now I'm on board with this. <laughs> Which, you know, given the fact that this is a non-linear racing game where you're moving from checkpoint to checkpoint, maybe <sighs> that makes, if you didn't do so well, maybe that makes a little more sense if you kind of got lost on your way and stuff like that. So I guess that's one point for this one. I also think it has a little bit of a sad quality, which kind of makes sense since you obviously, you didn't place high enough to get a trophy there. All right, well, well, that's kind of the six tracks we picked out. Be sure to let us know if you have any ones uh, out there. This isn't a super huge soundtrack. There are about, I don't know, 15 or so different uh, different. Uh, songs in the game, but why don't we sort of give our overall opinions there? I I think the word I came up with for the music in this is unrefined, uh, because, you know, we've heard Miki Obata's other works, you know, in Hey You Pikachu and in Pokemon Channel, and what I think might have happened here is that because there was the pressure to get this out as a release or near-release Nintendo DS game, I think some of the music, like it isn't super awful compositionally, but I think it needed more time for more fine tuning and stuff like that. And maybe they were limited on some of the samples 
uh, because of the very small cartridge size. Uh, Anne, uh, did you get that impression? Do you have some other thoughts? Um, unrefined is a good one. The, the words I've been using, demo track, again, I think fits. Like, this is why I was surprised, because um, one of the things we liked about Miki Obata was that they could do a lot with a lot of different instruments, use, making unique choices, making very complex melodies and, and counterpoints and things. And this just felt like, like their sensibility is there, but it's so stripped back in some ways uh, that it felt a little almost unfinished, like, like a demo track um, or unrefined, like it hadn't quite been finished um so and again it does not that any of this is necessarily bad it's just a bit surprising and for me personally it doesn't always work yeah i mean you can hear samples in this game like uh some of the menu stuff is straight out of umbrella's previous games and like those steel drum samples like i said but it does feel to me like they just didn't have enough time to put everything together the way they wanted which is you know i i don't know that without a lot more work this would have been a great game or anything but it does feel rushed in a way that extends to some of the music production there i think because uh, because we know that miki obata is capable of more and probably she just didn't have the time to uh, get everything in line or as optimized, especially, you know, if they didn't have access to the final hardware, you know, until partway through the development, which is quite possible. So, Yeah, or it could have been they were directed to do less, too, just because, again, it is a smaller game. All right. Well, let's go over some feedback that we have. Uh, this is from an interview I did over a decade ago at this point. This is my Aaron Bowman interview. Aaron Bowman, for those of you who aren't aware, did a number of songs for the dub during the fourth and fifth generation of the Pokemon anime. So she's kind of best known for stuff like doing the ending theme of the Zoroark movie, doing the opening theme for um, for the Arceus movie and also the Victini movies. Uh, so the comment I got from uh, Just Juan, I don't know if I quite said that right. Uh, this is, by the way, someone who I think their first language is either Spanish or Portuguese. But he said, I'm surprised the singers don't do live performances or get more recognition. Maybe it's because uh, they do concerts and, or get invited to events and stuff like that. Like I said, English not his first language, but we still appreciate that. We love hearing from our uh, overseas and non-English speaking folks. The effort is greatly appreciated. But I think what uh, Juan was getting at here is that sort of that she never really got much recognition. Like there wasn't a thing on the Pokemon.com website talking about any of this or stuff like that. Um, to which I said, you know, some of the more recent stuff, they have done some live performances. Uh, I choose you. Uh, I don't think it was a Pokemon thing that did that, but it was some other thing that uh, they did. Uh, Carry On from the Detective Pikachu movie, of course, got uh, Rita Ora got to go on a couple of uh, talk shows and morning shows and stuff like that perform it. And of course, we just recently had the Post Malone concert. I think some of that is that Aaron Bowman was not so much a known qual uh, quantity at the time. Um, not that she's super famous, but she's gone on to do some other stuff for commercials and some stage stuff and things of that nature. 
you know, when you have someone who is starting from a higher place there, I guess there is more uh, impetus to leverage them. Um, so I think that's a little different. And also this was during the fourth and the fifth generation when Pokemon hadn't like quite gotten back to the heights it has now, I suppose. Um, and do you have some thoughts on this one? Um, yeah, like on the one hand, I agree. Like it is surprising um, that Aaron Bowman in specific and a lot of these singers in general um, don't get more recognition because they are quite good. I think sometimes we forget, though, like, um, in the world of professional singing, there's a lot of different jobs you can have, and not every professional singer wants to necessarily perform live and do concerts and go to events. Um, sometimes they just want to sing and um, not have the stress that comes with live performance, because that is an entirely different skill set. So, I mean... On the one hand, yeah, it's a it's a crying shame that she does not have more recognition. On the other hand, she might be living her best life, and if that's the case, if if you know performing live is not necessarily a high priority for her, then she's she's doing she's doing great. <laughs> Let her keep going. <laughs> well, I think she's done some like understudy work on uh, some production of Hamilton or something like that. Uh, so if you're playing oh, yeah. Six Degrees. First of all, that's a great one to have in your back pocket. <laughs> if you don't want to resort to using, I guess, the, the Weird Al Polka connection. But um, yeah, I think in, in that era, now you see uh, another more recent one I want I should bring up is, you know, with Pokemon Journeys Walk Off the Earth um, is kind of a, a band with a definite history there. I think that's another thing is when you have these solo artists who are just getting started versus like a, a band that's been around for a couple years at least, like, like Walk Off the Earth has, they did do some, a little bit of promotion on that. They even made like a full on lyric video or whatever, I believe, for, for the journey starts today, I believe is, yeah, that's what's called there. So they are doing more now. And of course, you know, back in, this was like 2009, live streaming was not much of a thing back then either. It was just getting started um, on there. So if they wanted to do something, like I said, I would have loved for them to do, you know, take take some of the stuff that I do and, you know, do like a write-up or something when there's a new theme song. But yeah, so I guess that's kind of the, the ball of wax there or whatever. <laughs> okay, well... So what's our next discussion? Well, you know, we usually go in release order. Uh, still no sign of Secrets of the Jungle getting a Western release, so I expect that our next discussion will be on the next Pokemon side game. So next time we should be discussing the music of Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness for the GameCube. So this is sort of, I, I like to call it kind of the second quest of Pokemon Coliseum that we talked about recently. Uh, it takes place in basically the same place after the first game and stuff like that. It has a different protagonist who's uh, definitely not as edgy. But uh, that is what we're going to talk about. There's a lot of reused music in the game, but there's also quite a bit of new stuff in there that we'll have to talk about. So definitely looking forward to that. Uh, another regular there, Tsukasa Tawada, we'll be talking about with that one. Until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Lullaby by Willow for I mean, Manda, probably didn't need those Jigglypuff samples to indicate what character prompted its inclusion, as the lyrics match quite well. The Puffball isn't the largest, strongest, or most intimidating Pokemon out there, but it does have another trick up its sleeve that it's more than willing to share, and the first verse summarizes that pretty accurately. 
As for the second verse, the primary Jigglypuff from the anime does appear many times throughout the series, making the term deja vu very appropriate. Even the chorus manages to provide a good parallel, as the repeated use of the song's title mimics how most Pokémon say their name when talking. Finally, the inclusion of the word capture in the bridge hints, unintentionally of course, that sleeping Pokémon are easier to catch. As for the musical aspects, while Latin influence might seem more appropriate for a singing and dancing mythical Pokémon that would come many years later, it is still fitting for our cherry pink balloon. In any event, what do you think of this adopted character song? Be sure to let us know. Thanks. Hi, I'm Stephen Reich here at the PokePress PR Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm on the phone with Nick McKaig, who is an a cappella singer. And uh, he recently put out an album called On My Own, which contains a cover of the Pokemon theme done in a cappella. So, Nick, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about your musical background? Uh, How did you get into music, and uh, what else do you do? Well, I started singing basically uh, when I came out of the womb. And I've been doing choirs for a very long time. My dad is in music. He was a music educator. And so he got me into singing in choirs as early as elementary school. I was in a local barbershop chorus when I was 10. Um, so I got very used to singing without instruments and harmony and all that stuff from a very young age. And when I went into college, I majored in music. I was involved in all the major choral ensembles on campus. And I did a lot of composing for various events, including Christmas events and other fundraising events for the department and that sort of thing. So I've been involved in a cappella and choral music for a very long time. And you also play a couple instruments. Uh, which ones are those? Well, I play, I've been playing cello for a long time. And piano I've been using mostly to compose, but I play a little bit as well. Um, and I use that background a lot when I compose. I use a lot of stuff I see on the piano, and I use that to write out the parts when I hear it in recordings and go from there. I see. So uh, let's go into the, the version of the Pokemon theme you did. First of all, actually, why did you choose this particular song, and then why did you? Uh, how did you go about uh, doing it from a technical perspective? Well, when I was a senior in high school, my friend of mine who lived in my neighborhood had a band, and they had been doing covers of various things for a couple of years. And at my school, they had this, it was called Brotherhood Sisterhood Week, where they had a week-long lunchtime concert that they put on with local bands and people from school. And my friend called me and said, hey, uh, we want to do this cover of the Pokemon theme song. Would you want to play a keyboard for us? And I didn't really know a lot about the, the music of Pokemon. I know a lot about the show because my brother was really involved with it uh, when he was growing up, but I had never like learned the song. So I agreed to do it and we did it and put it up on YouTube and ended up being really popular. And it was, we called it like a joke band thing, but it was still, it was really accurate and everybody really fell in love with it. So when I, later on, when I started doing all these covers of themes and songs, I thought, you know, I feel like I know that song well enough now I could really do it justice if I were to go and make it a cappella. So I you know, researched the song, I, and you had to do lots of listening to hear all the different instruments and the different parts that they're playing. And you know, I put it all together. You know, It really seemed to work, so I decided to follow through and to put up a video on YouTube. 
So that's really cool. And, uh, you know, I've taken a look at a lot of your stuff in the album, and you do some really great jobs with uh, a lot of the songs on there. So how long did it take to record all the parts for the Pokemon theme cover you did? Well, the project, I do this all on my computer uh, with, I have an Apple, so I use uh, GarageBand and stuff like that. And in order for all the parts to come together, I have to record over 20 tracks of different instruments layered in different ways to get it to sound similar to the original song. So it takes somewhere between 10 to 12 hours to record all the different parts. And then that doesn't include mixing time afterwards and filming time to put up a video, say, for YouTube. So it's, it's pretty long and involved, but the outcome is, is really worthwhile. What were some of your favorite tracks to do when you were uh, making the cover? Oh, that would definitely be the high guitar part because it just kind of screeches up at the top. And it's uh, definitely because I'm a low range singer, like a bass. So it's really fun for me to get a chance to get out of my normal range and sing stuff that's really high and, and really fun. And that guitar part and also the actually the main solo part is really fun because the original singer is very energetic, very excited about the subject matter. And it's not every day that you hear a recording that's so, the person's so excited to be singing it. So it was really fun to emulate that excitement, that energy in my recording. All right. And uh, this album, On My Own, it has, you know, a ton of other covers. Uh, why don't you go into a few of them that you really like and uh, tell us about them? Okay. Well, definitely one of my most popular recordings, both on YouTube and on my album, is a cover of the Where in the World is Carmen San Diego theme. Very fun to do. It's been covered a bunch of times by a bunch of people. I chose to emulate the style that the group Rockapella, another acapella group, did with the song. And they were the ones that were originally featured on the show. So I ran with that. And with all these covers, you know, I, it's all listening to the recording. So I go through, I listen a bunch of times, and I kind of you know, emulate as close as I can to the original, but then try to add a little style at the end. And it was really fun to just put all that together. And then another one that I really like would probably be For the Longest Time, which is, of course, is a really popular Billy Joel song. And I, I've loved Billy Joel for a long time. I love a lot of his music. And that one is just really fun because it's specifically acapella style, even the original. So it was really fun to just kind of pick from that acapella style and make it my own. Yeah, that's really cool. You definitely have some great stuff. If I had to pick out some of my favorites, I, I really love the uh, kind of irony of doing an acapella version of the Ninja Turtles theme from the original series. And uh, William Tell Overture, that's a you know classic piece, obviously, and uh, an acapella version seems to fit somehow. Yeah, that one has been covered also a bunch of times, actually by some pretty high-profile groups like the Swingle Singers, they have a very popular recording, and for whatever reason, it's really fun, and it's really great for the voice. Well, that's great to hear, Nick. Uh, thank you so much for taking out some time to uh, give us a little insight here. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me tonight and to have me on your show. This has been Stephen Reich from the PokePress Pierre and Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, on the phone with Nick McKaig whose album, On My Own, has a cover of the Pokemon theme done in the acapella style. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, 
send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Okay, well, during the main discussion, I used the word reputation a lot, and the reputation of this game is not good. I'm sure, you know, this is back when this game would have cost like 30-some dollars to pick up a copy of on the, the DS, so I'm sure some folks felt it was pretty slight. Let's, let's start with the motion controls, or I should say the touch controls on this one. You have two options for controls, forward and reverse. They both use the touchscreen. There is no button option, even though I think this game could probably fairly easily have been mapped to the uh, directional pad and the buttons, kind of despite what's in it. Um, but basically you either get to choose, you either tap and drag in the direction towards where you want to go or in the opposite of where you want to go. And what are your kind of thoughts on the touch controls in this game? (sighs) (laughs) I have many thoughts. Um, first one, I agree with you. If there was ever a game where you should have had an option to just toggle on the buttons instead, this was it. There's no (sighs) reason. Um, my other thought is that I'm really glad that I didn't play this on my own DS, that I had been borrowing a little cousins and playing off their game because stylus games, sometimes I have issues with them. Like it's sometimes hard for me to control because I'm not a very good gamer. And also like certain games, like say the world ends with you, like I shredded the screen of my DS. Um, so like... A game like this, even though it's a very short game, so it would have been for much less, like, I can see you pressing too hard, you using the stylus too much, and, like, ruining your screen. So that's a concern I have. Again, not a great gamer, so maybe other people don't have that same problem. Yeah, I suppose. But I did not like the stylus controls. I don't Yeah, I suppose. I mean, obviously, since this was a launch or near-launch DS game, it gets compared, you know, the obvious comparisons would be stuff like Mario 64 DS, which was a launch title, I think, in every region, pretty much. But there you do have full button controls, and the the touchscreen controls are just if you want to have another way to implement an analog stick. I think one of the first games to, some of the first games to really use it well, as far as the touchscreen, were things like Kirby's Canvas Curse and Medios and stuff like that. And here, yeah, I have to kind of agree, it really does seem superfluous. Now, I do know that some games that have touch or motion controls, uh, in some cases, people have gone in and made uh, modifications that allow you to swap in button controls. Like someone did that for Donkey Kong Country Returns on the original Wii. They made it so that you could press a button instead of shaking to roll. Um, No such thing I could find for Pokemon Dash. I guess folks were not too bothered on that one to patch in button controls on a, a game where they might seem fairly superfluous. It's it's another one of those early DS things, I guess. Um, let's talk a little more about sort of the gameplay features. It is a racing game. Your goal is to get from the start to the end, but... As I mentioned several times, it's non-linear. You have a number of checkpoints you have to reach... And uh, they are scattered all across the map, so you have to go from one to the other to another to another and stuff like that. Um, How did you kind of feel about that type of gameplay instead of a more standard uh, race course? Um, There's a kind of interest um, in that type of challenge. Like, it in a way, it feels a little bit like a puzzle along with a racing game. 
and a little bit like some of those, I mean, not memory games exactly, but like that, I was interested in that feature. But again, with the stylus controls being difficult for me to manage, like there was just a lot about this game working against it. But I feel like they could have been onto something, but they weren't quite. Yeah, one of the notes I put down for this is I put down that it was both too simple and too complex. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's stuff in here that it makes it a, maybe a little more interesting, like the the balloon mechanic where you can grab some balloons and then you jump way up and then you have to dive down towards where the next uh, checkpoint is and stuff. And another use of the touchscreen there, you can pop Pikachu's balloons to make it fall faster. But managing that with sort of the the touchscreen stuff, because you have to use a touchscreen for like everything, like to go up uh, in the balloons and stuff or to, you know, move around the map and stuff. And I don't know, it, it seems like there wasn't, a ton of depth to it like i don't know i'm not sure exactly where i wanted to go with that but do you get that feeling that like there yeah. are aspects that are like too complicated and too simple or or whatever yeah like the general idea of like rather than just go forward and go fast like a standard racing game it's like you have to get to certain areas and you have to get to them in a certain order and there's different tools and tricks you can to cut time here like those are all really great mechanics and can add for a very complex experience to your game because you have to figure out how to how to make the best route and what to use and what not to when to pop the balloon all those things but again it was it was tricky to manage there weren't a ton i don't remember anyway there being a whole ton of options either um to again change up how how you physically do the race so again a really complex idea but too simple to execute and and like again a fun idea that was too hard to do the control sometimes it's like i like it but i don't <laughs> yeah so there's some other mechanics we had had a chance like there's different terrain in this game as we mentioned and on the map you'll occasionally see a place where you can run over an icon and you'll have better traction on a certain terrain like better traction on sand or better traction you can have like one of those at a time and that's kind of another layer there and it does add something but it's i don't know yeah it's like i don't know how i would necessarily make it better which is the worst kind of criticism when you have nothing else to offer but like i do feel like this is a game that could have been taken back uh to the drawing room one more time and just gone through a few things and workshopped it a little more because it's there's so much good in it that just doesn't come across well i think one of our comments that we got in chat from ddd033 uh sums up kind of the reaction to this game pretty well he, he that person says I barely remember this game, to be honest. I vaguely remember that the maps being shaped like Pokemon. So uh, speaking of DS features, they tried to really use everything on. Um, since remember, the original DS had not only a DS card slot, but a Game Boy Advance cartridge slot on the other side of it. And you could insert uh, one of the third generation Pokemon games. So Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald, Fire Red, Leaf Green. And use one of your Pokemon from your boxes, and it would generate a map based on that, using the different colors as different terrain and stuff like that. 
which I guess is kind of neat. Now, I mean, that makes the uh, the balloon feature, you know, when you zoom out and go way above, that does look kind of cool. I didn't get a chance to really try that because I, I didn't, uh, I play this only on like my 3DS, not my original DS that has one of those things. But yeah, so some interesting ideas, but it, it really did not gel nearly as well as I'm sure they hoped. Uh, I think they would have. I think it would have gotten a lot more love if this had been a game that was like, like it now in the days where you can download your games and you can they can sell indie games for like five, ten, fifteen dollars. I think this game would have gotten a lot more love if it were just priced according to the amount of game you got, and then people would probably have been a lot more forgiving too of the controls. Whereas a full thirty dollar cartridge for something that's difficult to play and not much to it. Yeah, on a technical basis, I think this very well could have been ported, you know, a number of years later to uh, DSi where it would definitely have fit within those limits. Uh, but I'm guessing the negative reception when this originally came out kind of canned any chance of that. So speaking of DS features, you know, the DS does have a built-in microphone. I mean, it would have been certainly much more ambitious, but... Had they done another virtual pet game, you know, another Hey You Pikachu type of game, do you think that, I think we would have preferred that as long as it turned out okay, but I don't know, what are your thoughts there? You know, that's a a good point, like, Hey You Pikachu was unfortunately a little ahead of its time, like, the microphone feature would have streamlined a lot of those problems, um, and made that game a lot more accessible to more people, and... Yeah, if this racing game had a mini game where you could just talk to Pikachu and play with him, like I have owned games where I only was there for the mini games, uh, like say Pokemon Stadium. <laughs> so I think you're right. I think this game would have a very different perception had it gone in in that direction and been something very different, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And and just going back to the touchscreen controls one last time, you know, in sometime later this year, probably. We're going to talk about the, at least the very first of the Pokemon Ranger games. Also a very stylus-heavy game, but does uh, has a much better reputation than Pokemon Dash, to say the least. I guess maybe the DS or the uh, the touchscreen controls feel a lot more natural uh, and whatnot there. Mm. Yeah, sorry, there we're commenting in the comments that we're Pokemon Dash haters. Maybe a little, but I'm sorry, I did not enjoy it. <laughs> But, I mean, people worked hard on this game, and I'm as I said, there's a lot good there. I would love to see it be incorporated as a mini game in another Pokemon game, or like even just released as a phone app with again just slightly different controls. Um, there's a lot of interesting things here. It, I'm sad it didn't work out to make me happy. Personally, I would have loved, you know, when they were doing cross-franchise uh, stuff in Mario Kart 8 for the DLC, would have loved to have a a, a Pokemon-based track on there for something. Uh, a lot of good options there. Maybe in a future Mario Kart game, we'll see something. I did know that uh, someone figured out a way to take the car from Pokemon. Oh, that that's, uh, speaking of early game Pokemon games and a thing, the... The one on the Switch and mobile called, oh, it's the cube-based one. But someone took the car from that and the Detective Pikachu model and hacked that into 
um, Mario Kart 8 some point. So that's kind of my dream there for a Pokemon racing game. And maybe we'll see <laughs> that in the future. I think that has a little bit of a better chance. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> but again, we're going to compare it to other racing games. Uh, I wanted to compare this to Mario Kart 64. Now that one has a somewhat different structure. After you complete uh, their four races in a cup, uh, if you place in the top three, you get to go in front of Peach's Castle and you get uh, whatever trophy you were assigned there and stuff like that. If you don't, you get to... This is kind of one of the more infamous parts of that game. And sort of, if you thought this was a little uh, dizzy and sad, uh, the Mario Kart 64 has has this one quite beat in that uh, regard. Uh, in that one, if you do manage to finish all four races but don't place high enough to get a trophy, you, you go through this thing, you watch the other racers who placed above you go to get their trophies, and then the, the music changes key, and then one of the uh, these bomb carts that are in the game goes and, and rams into you. <laughs> so it's not on, the, on that level, not that level you see in Mario Kart 64 when you don't get a trophy, which kind of makes sense for a Pokemon game, but Certainly not super rewarding either. Yeah, much less of the da 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 sort of feel. But yeah, like I said, uh, not the Mario Kart 64 super downer treatment either. So, 